Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, Francis. It's so great to have another episode out today. I really hope you enjoy it. I'd like to start off with some announcements as always. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow it and check out the backlog. Check out the other podcasts on jewishcoffeehouse.com. You can also join our discussion group where lots of lively conversations happen. And I'm so happy to be seeing conversations amongst people who do not agree with each other and barely any censorship is needed. We use censorship for spamming. So number one, I'd like to say that I am collecting more information to be able to cover more on thoughts about the SIFA, but I'm not prepared to do that just yet. I also don't want to take away from today's episode. So if you have any ideas or you wanted to share something, please do reach out. I am considering doing something special to cover that, but that's not a promise. However, next week is our 200th episode on this podcast, which is a huge milestone. And I would love to get clips from you, voice notes via WhatsApp, you sharing some of your favorite guests, topics, or episodes on this podcast, and maybe sharing why. Feel free to be funny, and I'd love to feature you. I'm also looking for guests who would like to share their personal stories of being in AA or NA. We'd like to cover addiction and substance abuse from a personal perspective, and you can be anonymous if you'd like, so make sure to reach out. And this episode today is brought to you by Appleseed Communications. Looking for a way to set yourself apart? Rise above your competition, close more deals, and charge more money for the exact same product or service? You are in need of endless authority. What you are looking for is PR. Yes, that's right. Warren Buffett says in today's volatile market, you need to be seen as the best in your industry. And that is where a strategic communication and savvy media plan can ensure that you are at the go-to specialist in your field. Bringing in clients and customers, even in a saturated, unstable market. And we recommend none other than Appleseed Communications for media and publicity plans. Ashley Crouch is an executive brand strategist for fast growth companies seeking high end media platforms across TV, national outlets, TEDx, or top podcasts. So text Let's Go to 773 770 4377 for a strategy session to build your custom plan. And I will link this in the show notes as well. And of course, if you need a podcast coach or you'd like to grow your podcast, launch your podcast, feel free to reach out. Feel free to send referrals to me. Thank you. This is how you support the show. And let's get started. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today we have an insider, a Francisca Show listener who has volunteered and is brave enough to share her story firsthand on very serious topics, unfortunately, that do occur in people's lives. And yes, we may know about them only through TV or the tabloids, but here we are to talk about real life and what happens within our communities, in our families, hopefully not your family, but to bring awareness, education, and more understanding. So the topic for today is marital infidelity, divorce, single motherhood, remarriage, blending a family, all within the firm community. And I want to thank our guest who is so brave to come on here today to talk about her story. And yes, she's anonymous, but it's okay. And I encourage our listeners to reach out to share their stories so we can continue to grow this platform and give people a voice. Without any further ado, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how did your story begin? Okay, just a regular, I don't know, everybody thinks they're just a regular, normal girl, person, whatever. Now, today, I'm a mom in my middle years. I grew up in a nice town. I had a nice childhood, although my parents were divorced by the time I was 16. It didn't really have, it was a good thing when they got divorced. It was a positive thing for us, my siblings and I. I was active in my youth group. I had a very good experience there, and it was right around my high school time that I met the person that I was going to marry. It, we got married really young. And so hold on a minute. You grew up Jewish-wise. What's your background? Yeah, so I grew up in a very proud Jewish home. 
I went to day school my whole life, but it wasn't a from background. It was just a very traditional Jewish traditional, identity. Yeah, traditional situation home. We had Shabbos every week. We had or a version of our version of it. We had holidays. We had our version of kosher. And then I was in NCSY. And that's where we grew into um, another version of who we would we like my sibling and I would become. And so I went to a Jewish high school that was more religious than the elementary school that I had gone to being a little intentionally vague here just to keep anonymity. So yeah, Judaism was very much part of who we were. And then as I was in high school and then after high school, just my idea was that I would marry somebody and we would have a from home and and I covered my hair and and all of that. And the person who was my husband and I thought we saw eye to eye. For a while, it seems like we did. So let's talk about the marriage and when did things start to shift a little okay. bit. So there were always like, again, because we knew each other for such a long time, there were always... Meaning little, you were married a long time or you knew him your whole life? We knew each other from when we were younger. And then it just seemed like a natural progression of our relationship that marriage was going to be the next thing. It wasn't so much a decision that I made or that he made that we were going to get married. It was just the next step and our teachers talked about it and our rebellion talked about it and our families and we were invited to each other's simplas and it was very much a given that we were going to end up married and so one day the mothers said to us we booked a hall and i said oh that's great for what for your wedding oh okay. <laughs> that was news to me and like all of my friends were getting married at that time. We were really young, not teens, but not still young out of our teens. And we just went with it because it was really fun. And those were the days where everybody was talking about their China patterns. And we all went to college classes together. And it was, you know, like when I talk about getting ready for the wedding, but not really for the marriage. So I don't know, like it was like that. It was just, we were all so caught up in the shaitel and the dresses and the all of that. So then all of a sudden we're married. And we lived in one town for the first little while. And then we moved from where we were living, which is where I was from, to a town that was far away from where I lived. And we moved there for work. In that town, I didn't have support. So really, I was with him and by myself. And we were also younger than everybody else by 40 years. The from community was very beautiful, but tiny. And for all intents and purposes, there was nobody my age. Always there was, there were like little things, even when we were dating, as even when we were engaged. I remember one time there was a Chinese auction and it was in the city that I was from. And it was like, men were going to go first and then women were going to go next. And he was going to go and put like our raffle tickets in. And he didn't, he just wasn't there and he wasn't answering his phone. And this was in the days where cell phones were, they weren't like what we have today. Okay. He didn't answer his phone. It wasn't, it was weird. It was annoying, but it was not like, that was back when there was a reception inside of a room. So, and then where was he? He said, oh, he went on like a gambling thing. And I'm like, what do you mean you went on a gambling thing? And then, okay, I'm never going to go again. So there were always like these little things where he was not where he was supposed to be, but he would tell me where he was, but he would have a reason for why that was okay. So he would defend why he was doing that thing. And then later when we moved to, I'll give you another example. It was during, it was on 9-11 and I couldn't reach him and he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And I am pretty sure I know where he was now because he really enjoyed going to strip clubs, but that wasn't something that I knew at that time. Like, why wasn't he answering his phone? Oh, he wasn't answering his phone because it was 9-11 and all the cell phone towers were down. So everything had a reason in it, which made me feel like foolish for even questioning, why didn't you answer your phone? What do you mean? It's 9-11. <laughs> There's a phone. So there were always like little inklings that naggings of this is really weird or this just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And okay, so we get married. We moved to that town and by myself most of the time. And I were married now a year and a half about and wanted to start making a family. He agreed and we, even then he was like, it was like a negotiation. If I give you this, then you're going to give me that. 
And the thing that he wanted was that it was always really important to him that it sounds like it sounds weird to say, but he just, we're not having sex enough. And if we're going to do that, then you're going to do that more and more. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't really know what this is about because I thought we were being very normal, but who knows what normal is, right? During the pregnancy, I was towards the end and I found this is, again, this is, there was no Facebook right now. There, Facebook was that thing that college students had. It was very new. Internet existed, of course, but this is back in the day when if you wanted to buy, like, pornography, you had to go to the store, look at the dude in the face, hand over your money, and buy the thing. It wasn't as easy then. I was in the garage, like, I was, like, super pregnant, and there was, like, a garbage can or, like, a garbage bag full, like, full of materials that were so incredibly like shocking and what is this and i asked him and he had his reasons and oh they were mine because you're not available for me as often as i want you to be and so because of that i bought these magazines but then i got videos but then i realized that's not the right thing and so i threw them in the garbage bag so he's already really establishing this pattern of He's doing this thing because I am not doing what I'm not as available for him as he wants me to be. And so I'm crying and I'm so sorry. I'll be better. And here I am like big pregnant lady. Okay. Have the baby and healthy. Everything was good. And then as the baby starts to get older, crawling around or whatever, I remember one day the baby brought me like, this is something you never want to see a CD, a DVD with a graphic image on the cover of it's been a long time and I still have that image in my head of what was on the cover of this DVD. What is this? Oh, it's from last time. And each time I'm asking him, what is this thing? I'm crying to him that he should forgive me for even asking him what this is. Yeah, so it's each event now, they're like piling on each other. So I remember it was Mother's Day. And again, we had an infant and we were gonna go out with, my mother came into town we were going to go out to eat and he just didn't show up. And, and this kind of thing would keep happening that he wasn't where he, again, back like how he used to be, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. So back in this time, a text messaging was a thing, but it was with like the, with your phone pad and he wouldn't text message. He like said he hated it. Okay. Later that night, like it was right around that time that I saw in his phone that he had been text messaging somebody and he denied it and he's angry with me and I'm crying and I'm apologizing for looking at his phone. It comes to a head when not too long after he comes home again from work. By the way, th that time that he had been text messaging as I'm like talking there and re recalling what happened, he said he had gone to what the text that I saw was he went to work at night to get papers from work at night, like the classic excuse. And who am I to like, question what he was doing. Okay, so a little bit later, he comes home and I'm at home with the baby who's sleeping and he comes home with a name tag on with his name. He's like wearing a name tag and he smells like cigarette smoke. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And again, he starts screaming at me that I didn't know that this is called gaslighting, that he thought it would be really fun if we did this game when we played that to bring like more excitement into the marriage and we play a game like role play and he even had one for me but he before i could see it he like balls it up obviously he was like lying and at the end he smelled like smoke because he was so angry with me that he went to 7-eleven and got like a slurpee or something and sat on the roof of his car and he was like having a slurpee with people who were smoking like these elaborately constructed stories that now that i'm telling it over for the first time you know, or not in 20 years almost it really sounds ridiculous but at the time i'm i was so young and so alone i just i went with it he was at a swingers party and i know that he was at a swingers party because a, a day or two after he left his like the computer and we had like a computer in a room open and i saw the computer the web page for a swingers website and so he was getting involved with that and i don't know Probably he was doing that for a really long time. And I started to feel like I needed to start to collect like evidence because of this crazy making. I knew what I saw. Like on the one hand, like I knew what I knew. 
And I knew that these things, these stories that he's telling in the magazines and everything that I'm seeing, I know what I'm seeing. But on the other hand, he's telling me that I'm wrong and he's telling me how good he is and how bad I am and how crazy my whole family is. And I'm like them and I have what they have. And so this person who you love, he's telling you these things, you believed him, right? So I start to collect evidence. Every time I would do the laundry, I would go through pockets. I would find receipts and I would see on the receipts, like he's not even hiding it anymore. Like, I think he had gotten so used to getting away with everything that like you start to get cocky and you start to not cover your tracks as well, or she's never going to catch me. I can be lazy about it. And that's like why he left the website open that one time. It came to a, finally, my credit card bounced and I don't know what brought me to do this, but I called the credit card company. And I said, can you email me a printout? Because there's, you know, of the charges and they did. I looked at the charges and I had asked him about these things to him. I would say to him, there's this charge for this place for $500. What is this place? This place is a bar. And I went to the bar because I was so angry with you because of whatever it was that you did that I bought everybody their drinks. And, or this is this place. It had XXX in the name. It had, it was this place. And I just went there because we were going on vacation and I wanted to get things to make the vacation really fun or whatever. And all of these things I was, he was telling me and I was listening fine. So I called one of the phone numbers on the, the charge list and a woman answered the phone and I said, hi, my name is whatever. And this is on my credit card statement. And my husband, he told me that he bought everybody their drinks. Is it possible that he would spend all this money to buy drinks for the whole place? And she, I could hear the woman like, like it's today. And she said, oh, honey, she goes, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but this is not a bar. This is an escort company. And that was like a very, he can't spin it anymore. So he comes home, I call him on it and I tell him that I want him to get tested for STDs. And then I said to him, you're not going to go near me until you get tested for STDs. And he refused. He said that his, the insurance is through his work and how could I embarrass him like that? Because then his work person will know that he got tested. It didn't make sense at the time. And he forbade me from getting tested from, for STDs as well. But I did anyway. And I passed out while that was happening. I went to my own doctor and he was great. He was amazing. And so I get, I go home and I told my ex-husband what I did. And he told me that he would only agree to stay in the marriage if I would agree not to keep Taras Mishvacha anymore. He, this is very common from what I've learned is that for a lot of these husbands, when the wife is in Nidar is when the husbands will use that excuse to go outside the marriage. So he told me that Taras Mishbacha is what is causing all of this and that I need to stop keeping Taras Mishbacha. Okay. So I thought, okay, I'll go get a hetzer for this because I was still trying to work on what I thought was my fault. Okay. So now I know I'm dealing with somebody who has an addictive personality and what rabbi understands addictive personalities the best? I thought, I'll call Dr. Torsky, like Avram Torsky. And how do you do that? So I remembered, it's funny, like how Sean puts these like memories back in your head. So once when I was little, I read my first Jewish, like from book was one of Pesach Krohn's books, Maggie's Stories. And I remember reading in the book that this girl was like stuck in the airport in Philadelphia or whatever, wherever it was. And she called him at the hospital where he runs the hospital and she reached him. I thought she could do it. I did it. So that day I called, I called the, what was it called? The Gateways Hospital that he ran. And I said, hi, can I talk to Dr. Trisky, please? And she was like, oh, sure. And she puts me through. And it was like, who knew that it was that easy? And he had a message on his machine. I'm out of town. I'll be back on this date. Please leave a message. I left a message. Hi, this is so-and-so. And I'm calling from such-and-such city. And I need a header to not keep Taras Mishbacha anymore. Please call me back. He calls me back that day. And he said he was on his recording that he would be here. And I could hear him. And he said, my dear. And I told him the whole story. And he said, my dear, and he made sure I would get tested and everything. 
He said, this is not a marriage that you can, this is not, you don't need a header to keep terms of mishpacha. You need somebody to help you to be safe and to stand on your own and to see what really you're going through. And he didn't tell me that not to stay in the marriage, but he was the first, really the only person at that time to tell me, to validate really what I knew, which was that I didn't do anything to cause any of that. I knew it. I knew it. But everybody in the meantime, who we had been going to, because we went to marriage therapists and we spoke to his parents and we spoke to my parents and we told them what was going on. And my ex, and this is another thing that a lot of people have in common, these guys are so charming and they're so charismatic and they're good looking. And they tell a story that is just, you believe it. Everybody was against me. We had therapists who would say, she's not putting out enough. Do you blame him? And we had family members, even a very close family member of mine told me, infidelity is not the worst thing. And it was Rabbi Tversky who said, this is, you didn't cause any of this. And okay, I guess he's right. So I called the Rav of our shul and I told him what was going on. And we sat for a long time. I told my best friend what was going on. We talked for a long time because for a while, when you are under this gaslighting, you really think that it's your fault. Like you, I really believed that I was shameful and that I was causing all of these things to happen to me. If I would be skinnier, if I would like, it, he he just he do whatever he was he wanted it. It would never be. It wouldn't be enough because it wasn't me. It was him the whole time. We got divorced. Was it a hard process? It was freakishly easy. <laughs> it was like just like he'd never proposed. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Reject the divorce. I got the get, Baruch Hashem, like immediately because. I don't think he wanted to be married either. I think that we were both just afraid to be honest and to let everybody down. And that's another soapbox I'll stand on another time about like these cute teenage couples and the pressure that we put on them. And But that's for another podcast, maybe. But I, he didn't give me a hard time. The way that I got the get was another story for another time that it happened very quickly. I filed for divorce after. It was maybe the shortest, quickest, easiest divorce in history. I gave in to whatever he wanted. And I, you can have whatever you want. I just want to be able to one day move away and to take our child with me when I move one day. Because in divorce, a lot of the time, the court will not allow one parent to leave with the child if the other parent doesn't allow it. You understand, you know what I'm saying? So let's say you get divorced in like Michigan in Detroit, you have to stay within 50 miles or whatever. So I, whatever he wanted, I gave in. He wanted all, it was so weird, like the silverware and the china and the plates and the pouches and everything. And I'm like, fine, take it, just sign the paper, just whatever you want. And we were done. It was really fast. I stayed around in the city for a while until I felt like I was ready to start dating again. And in the meantime, that meant a lot of therapy. That was because I was crazy, right? During the marriage and I was crazy and I was so anxious. And I'm saying crazy like with like air quotes. I was so crazy. He even convinced me to go to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist also, he wasn't Jewish, but he was like Rabbi Torsky. He was like, for what you're telling me, I understand why you're anxious. Because <laughs> my ex is, you're so paranoid because I was looking and it kills you. By the way, like when you're in that, when you're in that like world of needing to feel like I needed to feel like I needed any kind of proof I could possibly get my hands on. Not that I was going to use it against him in court, but it was for me to show me more things to show myself that I wasn't making things up. It makes you it into a paranoid, anxious obsessive. I would get in my car at night and drive around town with my little kid in the car, driving around town following my ex-husband when we were still married. Like, where's he going? It destroys you. You can't live like that. So the psychiatrist is, of course, you're anxious. Here's pills. Please take them and you'll feel better. But in the meantime, 
read this book. And he hands me the five love languages. And that was before that was a book that everybody read. And I'm like, why are you getting this to me? This is not what I'm dealing with. He goes, you're going to need this one day. This is going to help you one day. And it had, it's so funny because it had nothing to do with my issues at all with my ex. I don't know what possessed him. Not a Jewish guy, but I'm, he was actually getting me ready for the next phase. Sounds like he was giving you hope for a healthy marriage and giving you something new to grab onto to give you the strength to get out of the situation you were in. And it, it did. It was something really incredible. Yeah. Fast forward, you have this lengthy process. You're a single mother. You do remarry, right? Yeah. What does trusting or finding a new committed relationship like? after going through something like that? Or was it easy peasy because it was a completely intentional relationship yeah. compared to the first one that sort of sounds like it was a default? Yeah, I, in a lot of ways, I think once, first of all, I don't want to underscore, I had intense therapy. There was a good, it was about a year and a half, two years before I started dating again. I had intense therapy, especially in the beginning. It was two, three times a week and I was taking, I couldn't even get to sleep. I don't want to like even underscore or make it seem like it was an easy thing for me to get over that hurdle because like it was not, but like that started to pitter out and it was a lot of intense work that I had to do. So during that, it was, and I had this amazing therapist, it was a lot of self-talk. We would write scripts for myself when those pervasive thoughts would come into my mind. Part of my therapy was I would put post-it notes like all over my house. I would go and to the store and I would buy little presents, have them wrapped and hide them everywhere and find them when I was ready and open them. And I had to first reteach myself what I knew. I had to just re-remind myself that to trust myself before I could start to trust anybody else. And that meant over and over again, this was not me. This had nothing to do with me. This is all him. This is his sickness. There was nothing that I could have done to prevent that. And one, and as hard as that was to go through all of that, I think that I had it easier than a lot of people because a lot of people I'm going to contradict myself here. A lot of people say, if only my ex-husband, if only my husband, I'm in a bad marriage and I really want to get divorced. And if only my husband would abuse me or would cheat on me, it would be so black and white. It would be easy to leave a bad marriage. That's what it's, I don't know how many people talk about this freely. People say things like this to me because like people come to me to not just to for Isaac or whatever. Even although like I was in this marriage knowing that he was cheating on me like with a lot of people by the way <laughs> like some page some volunteer it, i was in it for a good couple years before even i had i said this is it's enough a lot of women before they're in it they're like you do it once and i'm out it's that's not so easy either but on the other hand once i got out of that and i was able to look back in i could see that for me I knew that there was nothing. The only thing that I did to contribute to that was that I married him in the first place and that I allowed somebody to make a choice for me, not without my consent, because I gave my consent. I was so into it, but to make a choice for me without me really understanding what it was that I was doing and agreeing to. As I learned to trust myself, I learned that most normal men don't do that. Don't do those things. And then suddenly I found that I was ready to start dating again because it was just so clear to me that that wasn't going to happen again. I wasn't going to meet somebody who was going to cheat at me again. I just, I remember one time after the wedding, I was on the phone with my best friend and she said, oh, where's your husband? And I said, oh, he's in a movie. And she goes, oh, that's fun. Who's he with? And I said, I don't know. He went by himself. He wanted to see a movie. And nobody wanted to go. So he just went by himself to see a movie. And I didn't want to go because it was some kind of, I don't know, whatever kind of movie. And so I'm home and he went. It just it was nothing. And she got, said to me, do you realize what you just said? And I'm like, no. She's like, you just said it was nothing that 
your husband is out seeing a movie. It didn't even occur to you, meaning to me, that maybe he was out doing something that he shouldn't be doing. It was just so, it was obvious to me that he wants to go see a movie, he should go see a movie. As opposed to previously, it's never just that he wants to go see a movie, that's not what he's doing. You know what I mean? Does that translate into your marriage now? Are you overly transparent with each other because of your history? Yeah. When we were dating, and this was, it's interesting because I did date a couple people before I met my husband. It's dating a second time when you're dating somebody who's dating a second time. I think if you do it, in my opinion, like you're transparent with each other. I think that, and we tell our friends, people come to us for ACEs and stuff like that. You have to have dates that are as if it's a first marriage, like that you're just regular dates and it's just a guy and a girl out for a walk. And so a lot of the dates should just be like normal and fun and carefree, but you also really need to have time where you're going to put your baggage on the table. For me, that meant, and it's been a long time, Baruch Hashem, that we're married now, more than 15 years, we don't have a computer in a computer room. Because for me, that's a trigger. Also happens to me that it's just common sense, safety for kids, not to have a computer in a room with a door. But I will never have computer in a room with a door. It's just not a thing. So as much as like from one side of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, I totally trust him. From the other side of my mouth, that just happens to be like a trigger and a boundary. Like my husband doesn't want me to have a trigger. It's like, why would I want you to feel that way? This is what you need to feel safe. This is what you will have to feel safe. And I have concessions along those lines as well. There's particular things that he struggled with in his first marriage. And he said, look, my ex-wife used to really control this thing that I would do. And that is something that I, he wants to do this particular thing. It's a harmless, you know, just to keep him anonymous. It's a harmless thing. It was silly even. He could do it until he's blue in the face. Have fun. And so we definitely were very transparent with each other. And I said, look, these are these things. If you see me going through your phone, like that's another thing. And now phones are much more sophisticated than they ever were. We have each other's passwords emails, phones, everything. And it's never a thought that if I want to look at his phone for any reason or for no reason or to get a picture or whatever it is, like his phone is available to me 24-7. Mine is available to him. Some other couples have a boundary like that. This is my private thing. But my husband understands because of what I went through and because it was specifically related to the computer, to the phone, magazines aren't a thing anymore. But so those are things that he really has been generous with me and understanding, look, she went through these things. I'm not going to, I don't want to upset her and in that way. And I don't know if I'm judging, but I think in a marriage where two people are exclusively completely devoted to each other, even private things aren't private There's no such thing as private. There may be, I need some space from you right now, but maybe I'm wrong. I know people have separate bank accounts or anything, but maybe they should have access to those accounts or know that those accounts exist or. Right. Yeah. I know everybody makes their own decisions and what they feel is good for their marriage. And I guess if it was really important to a husband to say, this is my email account and you can't go through it. I don't know. I would think that's weird. But if a wife is okay with it, she's truly okay with it, then... I I mean, you have it all the time when you have lawyers or doctors and there's Mm -hmm. HIPAA or other privacy issues. And that is cover for anyone who needs to have good excuses and covers. So I guess he's going to marry anyone who... (laughs) (laughs) Or a CIA agent. Super not. (laughs) No, yeah. Do you ever feel, or at the time, did you feel shame when you did reach out to people for support? and friendship. Yeah, a lot. A lot of shame. One of the, it's funny, I remember AOL, I am. <laughs> that was a thing. And I remember with my friends, not my best friend, but with a lot of my friends who, and I only told, I told very few people. But when people heard that I was just getting divorced in general, did she try therapy? And they were talking about this, like on AOL, I am. And then people were not screenshotting it, but I don't know, remember how I got these messages that people, this person said this about you. So in my circle of friends who I'm not friends with any of them anymore, not because of this, maybe partially because of that. One place I didn't feel shame was a website called survivinginfidelity.com or dot, I think it's .com. It's still around today. I recommend, I tell people to go there all the time. 
it's not a Jewish site and it does break one of the rules that I have for myself. I don't like to be in like groups where there's like men and women talking to each other. I don't PM anybody who's a guy, but so surviving infidelity, the website is message board style and they have like different forums on the website that and therapy and my best friend and my rabbi were how I made it through all of it. And until I just realized I wasn't logging in anymore. I know you act in a supporting role today and people come to you. Clearly, you have positioned yourself somewhere where people know what you have survived. I'd love to hear more about the support you provide and the stories that you hear that are going on in the firm community today. Open our eyes a little bit and ears. Oh, a while back, one rabbi who I was connected to, I'm trying to remember how the connection was made and I can't remember how, but a well-known rabbi who knew my story would ask me, can you talk to this woman? Can you talk to that woman? In my social circle, I'm very careful. And that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm not anonymous because I think there's anything to be ashamed of here or a stigma here. Like I said before, I know I didn't do anything wrong, but the child that I have from that marriage, he or she should never know the reason that their father and I are not married anymore. It's none of their business. I never, ever want them to know. So because of that, and only that, I don't make it a known thing that this is something that happened to me or that I went through. People know that I'm divorced because obviously we're divorced. I also have many stepchildren who are much older. And so anybody who looks at me and does the math would figure that out. So when people, and we're also happens to be, we're very open people. We have an open house and we attract a lot of, lot of people who are going through divorce just gravitate towards us. So if I feel that there's a reason for me to disclose what I went through in order to help somebody, I had somebody who, when I first started out, who was just going through about six months ahead of me. And I remember how much that helped when I knew she, her story is very public. I reached out to her and that little bit of help helped me. So like, I do reach out to people if I feel that there's a reason and I feel that it's safe to tell them my story. In terms of how I provide support, I would say through various anonymous or social media sites or avenues that I feel I can have that discussion in a way that is nothing is private on social media, but as much as I feel is appropriate or is safe. Again, it's all about Look, I don't want to be known as, oh, here's this person and she's the infidelity girl because there's, but I do, I am happy. Look, just the other day I was at work and somebody came to me and said, hey, I, you're divorced, you're remarried. Can we talk about it? Because I'm thinking about marrying this guy and he's got all these kids and can we have a conversation? And it's because I'm really open that people kind of gravitate to me for that. Stories about infidelity, the ones, the most common I can think of off the top of my head, four women who I've been put in touch with, like, you need to talk to this person, like in that way, where they'll contact me, can you talk to them? Four women, three of whom live in Israel, who are all Balshubas, like me, and the husbands are all gay, and they had gone through whatever the programs, I don't know what they call it. It's a Jewish know. program that yeah. gave you? Yeah, the, they think, I don't know, they have a deep, pro- I don't know what they call right. it. I know they're Christian <laughs> facilities. Yeah, I it's didn't illegal know in America. Jewish. It's illegal in America, but these four women married these men. Two of the women knew that their husbands had been like previously gay, again, for people listening with air quotes, and two of them, they had no idea that their husbands were gay. All four of them believed that they were marrying men who were presently heterosexual. And all of those men had affairs with men. And that was how they came to me. Their husbands cheated on them. People told them it wasn't really cheating because it was same gender. And because of that, those women were shamed because how could you leave this marriage? You need to be there. And I listened to your beautiful podcast a couple of weeks ago where you had two people who were in consensual marriages where there was full disclosure and no infidelity. That wasn't an option given to these women who I'm in touch with and who I had been in touch with and helping them 
to navigate that. I think consent is always the key word here. So that's a biggie. A number of other women who I know who didn't have that that aspect in their situations had situations like mine where their husbands, they always blame it on Nita. And I've read on other message boards in some communities where they tell these palas are taught that your husband needs it and he cannot do without. But Nita is so hard for them that they have these like numbing creams or whatever it is. And they give this so that the man shouldn't feel anything when he can't have intimacy. They go to this extreme where they're telling these young women that your husband has this primal urge that is so, it's like water and air. And so when these women are in need of, that's when the men do what my ex-husband did, hookers or whatever, and that's what they do. And that's pretty common. I have quick question type of questions for you, and they're probably complicated. So yeah, (laughs) number one. Is there a hierarchy for an emotional affair slash physical with one person versus hooking up with random strangers? Meaning what do What's I think worse? is worse? Or what do people experience as worse? My experience, I think I'm lucky because for me, it was really easy for me to say, to look at my ex and to say, this is a total sickness. If you saw, which unfortunately I did, like the picture, they put pictures of themselves on these websites, like a sick person does that. And when I say put a picture of themselves, I'm not talking about by a fishing boat or holding a basketball. So they're putting pornographic pictures of themselves in order to attract other women, like very X-rated pictures. That's sick. And in a way, like you can almost look at somebody who's sick and like really pity that person. I think having an emotional affair where there's no physical aspect well, that I think that if it's a secretary, like the cliche secretary, that would probably, in my imagination, that would be more painful for the wife who had been cheated on because there's that emotional connection and that physical connection where in my mind, I know that my ex was sick and it was very easy to quote-unquote easy after I came to terms with it four, three, four years later. Yeah. Are there cases of infidelity where divorce is not necessary or there is possibility for a renewed marriage after that? Yeah. So just to clarify that here, when I'm talking about infidelity, I'm referring to when the husband cheats on the wife. When the wife cheats on the husband, there's, of course, different halakhic ramifications, and I'm not touching that, if that's okay. Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm referring to. It's a personal choice. If the husband is really repentant, if he's remorseful, if he agrees to do the work and agrees to say, I'm not going to do this again, and to really take the steps to address what happened, and then the wife, she has to really want it. Not that she's doing it for her kids. I don't think that's right. Not that she's doing it for the community, but because she loves her husband and she wants badly to try to make it work, I think it can work. I don't know anybody who has. Mm -hmm. Do women cheat on their husbands that you know of? Yes. What are the causes? Is it an addictive trait or behavior or does it stem from other issues. Yeah. I know women also who've cheated on their husbands. They come to you or the husbands come to you? Weirdly, two friends of mine and one of them, as I was going through my divorce, who knew my story, told me that she was in the middle of cheating on her husband. And I was like, why? What is happening here? That Was, was really it an scary. emotional? No, she had an emotional. She had a boyfriend. If she was married, I'm like, what is going on here? Why are you telling me this? And I didn't have... With her, I was like, and done. And I ended it and I broke up with her as a friend. I was like, I can't believe that you're telling me this now. And I just, I don't care what her reasons were. Like, whatever they were, I was in a place that I, I don't know. I have an acquaintance now and she told me her story and her ex-husband told me the story and they were the same. Nobody was changing the story. She just wanted more than what he was able to give. In terms of charisma, in terms of excitement, look, when your husband and you have children, and here's this other guy and he's a single 
person and he's offering like a different fun life. What mothers, I'm sure a lot of women look at their house and their mess and think, if only I could have a vacation for oh, well. their silver loan. Some women take that step and they take their little vacation. So it's a fun sexual outlet as opposed to feeling neglected and lonely, or is it a big combination? I think it's a big combination. I think that women are, of course, addiction is a sickness and it can happen to anybody, but I think that women are, and somebody who's listening can correct me if I'm wrong, more likely to have the like emotional and the thought out affairs or attractions or hookups for a reason in their heads as opposed to men who just have that contract myself with that urge that I need to do it. You mentioned a few Bali Chuva people. What about from birth? Do you? Yeah, I know some as well who they just, because it can happen to anybody. Anybody can be sick, but also anybody can just be a jerk. I think sometimes you want to say this person, no, sometimes it's just a guy who has bed meatos or just a really nasty person. But I think that Bali Chuva, and the reason why I know more of them is because they have more access to knowledge of this is called, this has a name. This is called cheating. This is something that I read about in a magazine or saw in a movie or saw on TV. And I know that society doesn't hold that this is okay. And so they're more like, in my opinion, more likely to go out and to say, I need help for this thing that's happening. I know it's not okay because when Ross and Rachel were on their break, and I know that's not okay. You're saying it's still happening in the firm from birth community. It's just they don't have the awareness and language to identify it. Right. Or if they do, they're told you can't get a divorce. If you get a divorce, if you talk about it, then it's going to stigmatize your family, your children. It's going to ruin their shadokim. Gonna, you have unmarried siblings. It's going to ruin their shidduchim. You can't get divorced. You get divorced. The husband in some communities is going to get the kids. Like the whole snowball effect that some people are terrified about. Chuba usually, hopefully, has a family who can help her in a way that a lot of FFBs, like some families are amazing and some families are not. And I know this is off topic a little bit, but I've heard, I don't know if I'm right, but there are from couples who swing. They call it fill-in parties. Oh, there's or, a name for it. Or no, sorry, to fill in dates or a key party. To fill in dates are, to fill in I dates. just heard it with singles when you go to date with your to fill in, meaning you're planning to sleep over. Right. I think that's like part B of a key party. So the key party is when they, at Shalashodis, or at Mosei Shabbos, they would all put their keys, the men in a pile, and then they would pick the key and that's the house you go home to. And the women are consenting to They're this? They're totally, totally down with it. And is this infidelity? Is it breaking marriages? Is it preserving the marriages? Halakhically, breaking the marriage. Because once a woman has been with another man, she can't be with her husband again. Correct. No, I don't see how going outside the marriage can preserve a marriage at all. I think people tell themselves that for a very short period of time. You can't, even like in, on polyamory TikTok, if you look on there, and it's a thing. You'll see all these families with all these different spouses, and you can't. There's a reason that our Ravina Gershom said that you can't have more than one wife because emotions can't sustain You can't sustain it like that. It's We're not built like that anymore. Could you say or give some parameters of what's considered infidelity in a marriage? I feel that any kind of physical touch outside the marriage, more than like a handshake, no, I don't think a hug is infidelity. I think that, but any kind of physical, romantic, even a massage can lead down a direction in that way. A physical intimacy and emotional intimacy can be different degrees of infidelity. I don't think that somebody who is WhatsApp chatting with a woman and making some kind of connection is having an emotional affair. But I think it's a degree and it can snowball. Now, if you witness signs of infidelity in someone else's marriage what is your responsibility that's a really good question i um, just saw shoshana Kitschasko post if somebody knows about your marriage yeah do you want them to tell you your friend okay so that's a really good question after a lot of us who got divorced will tell you that and there's a rabbi to this day who's trying to make it up to me and he does extra who people come to i always knew that there was something if somebody knew 
something was going on, I would want to be told. But I was so in it and I was so brainwashed by what my ex-husband was telling me that it would have had to come from somebody who knew how to deliver the news. Meaning if they had spoken to the rabbi about it and our rabbi wasn't like an old bearded man, it was somebody like approachable or whatever. So if I knew that somebody, something was going on, I would go because I'm a firm person. I would ask my rabbi, how do I handle this? And I would do what he tells me to do. And it, doing the right thing is not always doing the easy thing. Any closing remarks? This has been an <laughs> eye opening. I don't, I didn't learn anything new, but you confirmed a lot of sad realities. Yeah. And you did open my mind about these unfortunate situations. And I'm hoping anyone listening who might have not known how to identify the situation or may see these signs in somebody else's marriage may be able to step up and help themselves or their loved one. First of all, if, I hope it's okay with you, but if anybody, any women are listening and they want to connect with me, please, I'm happy to be put in touch with anybody who is going through this. Who, Only women, right? Women, please. Who can use some support? If there are men who, and I'm speaking for my husband now, who are going through this, their wife is cheating on them, they can contact me or you, me through you and I can help find some support for them. Everybody should check out survivinginfidelity.com. It's really supportive. It, closing thoughts, it is never acceptable to go outside the marriage for any reason at all. If you feel that your marriage needs you to go outside of it, then end the marriage and then do what you feel you need to do. But that betrayal in terms of emotion, sanctity, kedusha of your marriage, safety, you can't do that to somebody. There's never a reason. And if you are somebody whose husband is telling you that you did something to deserve this, you did nothing to deserve this. This is him doing something with somebody else and it has nothing to do with you. Even if you are a shrew and a horrible person to live with, you did nothing to deserve your husband to go outside the marriage. And there is a great life for you. Read the five love languages book. Read the book. Thank you so much for doing this episode. Thank you so much for listening until the end. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you do participate in the discussion group on WhatsApp. The link is in the show notes. Check out the backlog, follow the show on your favorite podcast app and do reach out if you do qualify for any of the podcast episode guests that I am looking for to do in the next couple of months. As I mentioned before, if you would like to be featured on this podcast, please do share your voice note with me on WhatsApp. The link is in the show notes. Tell me about your favorite episode or what spoke to you most, what topics you love, and we can feature you on the next episode. Assuming I get enough interesting voice notes, I will include them next week. If not, we'll do something different and special for the 200th episode. Thank you for being a part of this journey and see you next time.